you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. All right, good deal. Uh, it is interesting to watch all that's going on behind the scenes and uh, it, our pastors, the worship pastor and and Nick, we, they're just running back and forth trying to do everything all together all by themselves. And so it's been uh, encouraging to be able to tune in each week and to uh, hear the word preached. And um, today we're going to be continuing to look at First Peter. First Peter, we've already seen that what Peter is trying to do is he's trying to show us that living the good life is possible and uh, it is encouraged and it is desirable, certainly. Um, today we're going to be narrowing in, uh, in the midst of all of the fog that is around us and all the chaos that is around us, we're going to be drilling down to perhaps the smallest entity of uh, relationships and see how it is that we can live the good life while at home. Living the good life at home certainly is possible, uh, and it is possible if we are intentional in reaching for it. Carol and I have been married for about 43 years, not quite 43 years. And during that time, we've always worked together. We've worked together as a team. Uh, we have uh, come together as a couple. Then we started our family. We've raised our family. They are now raising their family. We also were a team in terms of our ministry. And so really this whole time of the coronavirus really hasn't been all that difficult for us because we were used to having each other around. We've always had each other around. We've always been together, working together as a team. One of the benefits of COVID-19, and there are many drawbacks, but one of the benefits of COVID-19 is that um, Carol started listening to and watching a worship uh, leader from West Texas and every night he gets on and spends about an hour just playing the piano and singing. Uh, it's very informal. In fact, his kids are sometimes running behind him and there's different things that are happening. And, and uh, he just sings songs that he enjoys. People send in requests and, and he sings those. Um, and Carol's been listening to him. And I think one of the benefits that I have appreciated is that every once in a while, Carol will start singing along with him. And it is just nice to hear her sing and uh, to hear her voice. I'm grateful for the years that we've had together and that we are continuing to look forward together. You see, because Jesus, uh, Carol loves Jesus and wants to follow him, and I'm thankful for the gift that he has given to me in the life of my wife. I'm grateful for every influence that she has had, not only over me, but over our children. And not only over our children, but beyond that, into those who have been part of our ministry. I have benefited greatly by being married, and I frankly enjoy being married. 
Carol and I are pretty much cut from the same cloth when it comes to the emotional surveys that people take or the, the psychological profiles that they take. And I know that's unusual because usually couples that come together, they're usually opposites because opposites attract. But then when they get married, they start to attack. Well, Carol and I, because we are very similar, in fact, we almost always score exactly the same, um, we haven't had a lot of arguments. We haven't had a lot of tensions. And usually when there is tension, when there is problems in our marriage, when there is arguments, it's really because I look at back now and I think it's because I have become threatened. Uh, I'm not functioning the way that I should. I have forgotten who I am, and I'm kind of going it on my own. And when I go it on my own, I feel threatened by everything that's being said. And so when I do that, uh, I become defensive, argumentative, and full of tension. And I think back, the times when we've had our greatest arguments, I think I have fallen further away from who I am in Christ. But I think that's true of all of us. The very fact that we have arguments and tensions within the body of Christ is because we have walked away from who we are in Christ and we have become focused upon ourselves and we build up the sense of tension and anger. And so Instead of just making it up as we go along, we want to find out what it is that Peter has to tell us when it comes down to this the smallest entity of social order, and that is the home. Peter has spent the last, what, chapter and a half, or the first chapter and a half of 1 Peter, telling us who we are in Christ. That becomes obviously very important to us because we need to know who we really are. You see, knowing who we are is paramount when it comes to persecution. If we face persecution, uh, and I'm thinking right now of the type that goes on in China against the church, or goes on in Africa, or in Iran, or Iraq, or the persecution that happens where families are split up and people are killed, that kind of persecution, it's imperative It's paramount to know who we are in Christ, because if we don't, in the fog of war, in the fog of that persecution, we will start making it up as we go along, and it will be destructive. It's necessary to know who we are when we face the hardships of life, just normal difficulties. Uh, I don't know about you. One of the things that is true is that when we face hardships, when we face difficulties, it can be from various back, various situations, and the problem is I don't know where it's coming from. In other words, I face something that's that's difficult. It could be difficult because it is the um, just living in a fallen world. Uh, you know, you think of the people who maybe own a business uh, that has been destroyed now, who had nothing to do with what was going on. Uh, they just suffered the consequences. Uh, they're probably living um, in a fallen world and they're suffering those consequences. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, okay, are those consequences because of sin in our life and God is punishing us as individuals? Um, 
Or it could be that Satan is on the attack and he's trying to destroy our life and get us to be confused and and look for other things uh, as an issue. Then when you look at, okay, well, if it is God doing these things and we're suffering because God is punishing us, is he punishing us because of sin or is he doing it because he loves us and he's trying to draw us back and wake us up to the issues that are at hand? And the problem is I don't know. And any particular issue, I don't know. Is it Satan? Is it a fallen world? Is it God? Is it his punishment or is it his refinement? And that's why Peter, I believe, has spent so much time telling us who we are. Not only is it paramount in persecution and necessary in facing just the hardships of life, it's also important as we go on living and striving to experience the good life that we've talked about. I sat down one time, uh, and I've done this with a couple different books. Paul's book in Ephesians is always very helpful to do this as well. It's just a reminder of who we are. And what I did is I just listed as many things as I could find, and I'm sure there's a whole lot more, in the first chapter and a half of 1 Peter. Uh, and it just reminds me of who we are. And so I just kind of asked the question, who are we or who am I? Listen to this list. God, I'm the one that God chose from eternity past. I, God planned my salvation in eternity past, and he planned my redemption in eternity past. God directed his prophets to preach to me. God had his word preached to me. God has caused me to be born again. God brought me out of darkness into light. He gave to me a new position and he gave to me a new heritage. God redeemed me from the death, or excuse me, God redeemed me with the death of Jesus. He moved me from darkness into light. He has given to me an eternal inheritance. He reserves that inheritance for me in heaven. He protects me while I am here. Uh, He protects me to receive that inheritance. God is my father. God sanctifies me so that I might obey Jesus Christ. He calls me to his, as his obedient child. He places me into his royal family. He gave to me a family to love. He uses circumstances to refine my faith. He causes me to grow through the word. He put me into his loving, excuse me, he put me into his living temple. He made me a priest who offers sacrifices and proclaims to him, uh, proclaims him to the world. He is my God, and I am able to proclaim his excellencies. God's angels want to learn from my special relationship with God. God has shown me great mercy. Amen to that. Remember in chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for his possession, so that you may proclaim to others the praises of our God, of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are creatures that God has cared for. And it's important for us to remember who we are in order to live out the good life 
even when it comes to living it at home. Can you see how important it is to understand who we are in Christ before we can move into the difficulties and the hardships of life? And so Peter has done that, and he has shared with us the things that we need to know. In chapter, up until chapter 2, verse 11, he spent all of that time telling us who we are in Christ. Then in verse 11, something changed, and he begins to say, okay, now, as this person, you know, he's built you up, and you feel really important, and, you know, God has done all of this for us, and this is really exciting, and then he says, all right, so this is how I want you to live. This is how your life should look in these different situations. And he talks about when it comes to government, how we should look, how we should act. He talks about our citizenship, and then he talks about uh, our work relationships for us in America, and then he talks about the marriage relationship and how it should look. Ultimately, what he is saying is that how we live matters to him. How we act matters to him. It's important to him that we do, we live the way he has called us to live. So now we're moving into chapter 3, and we're looking at um, really a, a small section. And uh, Peter takes a few verses, and he talks about how the wife should relate to her husband. And then he takes one verse, and he describes how the husband should relate to the wife. It's interesting, when Paul does this in Ephesians, he takes just a couple verses and talks about the wife uh, relationship to the husband. Then he takes like nine verses, and he deals with the husband to the wife. Um, so you got to kind of you take them both together, and you've got a lot of responsibility laid on both of us to live right. And why do we need to live right? Well, we'll find that out as we move along. First of all, in chapter three, verse one, right at the beginning, it says, "In the same way." Well, in what way is that? Well, as you go back and in, into chapter two, it talks about submitting to one another and living in honor of other people, uh, recognizing their importance. He says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even in, even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live uh, when they obey your pure and rev- when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments uh, or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and are not uh, frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, uh, as the 
uh, understanding of their weaker nature and yet showing them honor as co-heirs in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. One of the things that we have to recognize is that if we want to live the good life uh, that Peter talks about, we want to live the good life at home, well, it's possible, but only with intentional submission. Only with intentional submission. In the same way, Peter says, in, uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 17, uh, we are chosen, but we are chosen and we are to submit to Christ. Now, submission is not a real popular word, and actually, back in the 80s and, and that, it was really not a positive word. Uh, and, and so when you began to preach or teach or read through sections like this, uh, for me, even now, today, when I read through it, there's something inside me that kind of fights with this whole idea of submission, because... It's the idea of subjugation to, of the wife to the husband and, and all of that. But submission is part of God's plan and it's submission on both parts. It's not just the wife to the husband or even the husband to the wife. It's Christians to their government and it's, uh, Christians to each other and, and it's, uh, that mutual love for one another. Submission is a human creation, or we need to submit to every human creation is what we are told in 1 Peter 2. And that goes along with many other verses. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Uh, Ephesians 5.21, submit one to another. That means children to parents. It means servants to masters. It means husbands to wives and wives to husbands. It means Christian to Christian. In Ephesians 5.24, it says, as the, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Masters, it says in 1 Peter 2.18, are to, uh, we are to submit to them. We're to submit to kings and governors, as we heard last week, to each other in Ephesians 5.21, similarly in, in 1 Peter 2.17. Now, with that, I think it needs to be said just very quickly, submission does not mean inequality. Uh, we tend to think that, okay, the one who submits, he must not be of as great a value as the one he's submitting to. And yet Jesus submitted himself to his parents in Luke chapter 2.51. Jesus subjected himself to his heavenly Father and to his will in 1 Corinthians 15. So there isn't a sense of, greater, lesser, but it has to do with God's order and structure. And Jesus subjected or submitted himself to his parents. Submission is a uh, is really a protection from the devil. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, When we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. And so that submission to to God and to his will. Ephesians 5.24, the church subjects itself to Christ for protection. Uh, so too, the, wife's, the wife to the husband, and we call that sanctification. Choosing, um, we also want to choose or it calls for us to put ourselves second 
uh, it's responding to the fact that uh, we are allowing God to work through someone else as we put, put ourselves second to them. It has to do with humility. I think overall what I would say is that it, it, it requires grace and living in grace. It's living in a way that will benefit others is what Pastor Nick shared with us uh, last week. Living in a way that will benefit others. The submission. What does submission look like, though, at the home, in the home environment, in, in the household that you live in? When a wife submits to her husband in respect, the tension in the home subsides. The gospel of Christ is presented, it's lived out, it's exemplified in the life. And the circumstantial alarm is dissolved. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6. When a husband commits himself to following Jesus, he takes this family, he takes his family with him. And when his wife submits to him, he's able to lead the family well. But equally, when the husband submits to his wife, uh, and he loves her deeply, then the children see that and they begin to want what their parents have. Understanding her needs, he submits to her, but he also leads her. Uh, you're talking spiritual, emotional, and physical. Uh, all of them need to be met. Uh, Ephesians 5, Paul elaborated on the husband's responsibility to protect and care for his wife, just as Christ did for the church. That means total sacrifice. There's no, there's nothing that a husband can do that outdoes Christ for the church. And so as he submits to his wife and to her needs and prepares her as the beautiful bride that she is, he is also submitting to God's will and moving forward. I think sometimes, uh, Carol and I, years ago, we'd have Bible study on Friday nights. And uh, inevitably, as I'm preparing for that Bible study on Friday nights and people were coming to our household, that's when we would get into our greatest fights. And yes, we did fight at times. And, and that would always be the case. And finally it dawned on me what was going on. Satan was, was causing issues between us. Um, we also found, you know, it's also when things would break down. Uh, the washing machine would break down. This would break down. Something had to be fixed, and I'm trying to prepare my study. And Don't you understand how important I am and all of that? Well, that it's living life in that environment that we begin to show to our children what it means to submit to one another, to love well, to respond properly. And uh, you know what I found? Our children don't require us to live perfect lives. In fact, nobody really requires us to live perfect lives. They, res- they want us to live real lives, honest lives. And when we've done wrong, we admit it and we ask for forgiveness. 
So the love of God is shown as real as we live within the submission to one another. The good life is is experienced through the relationships that we share, whether it's with our family or with the neighbors or with our community. What happens when subjection is rejected, though, when submission is rejected? What happens when there's all kinds of tension within the home? Well, first of all, the wife fails to trust in God. If she's not submitting herself to her husband, she she does not trust in God. And you notice when you, when we read First Peter, it wasn't, you know, wife submit to the godly husband who does everything right. It's submit to the husband who is not a Christian, who is not doing everything right, but in your life and your response to him, he can see the truth of the gospel. And ultimately, the desire is for him to come to faith in Christ. When, when she fails to do that, then peace is lost in the home. Plans are made without God's counsel. Personal spiritual life dries up. The demanding, the life becomes demanding and manipulative. Husbands, when they fail to lead well, when they fail to be what they should be, when they fail to be Christ to their family, well, he becomes critical and often passive in his relationship at home. He does not reflect Christ and his love for the church. He does not represent God to his children. He, his prayers are actually hindered or thwarted is what the word is. Wow. So how I live as a husband matters. How I live in my home when the doors are closed matters. It matters because it represents to my children, it represents to cry, uh, to my wife, the Christ that I serve. And if I do it incorrectly, it will have eternal damaging, destructive power. Living the good life at home requires intentional submission with an eternal perspective. And I think this is where Peter is getting. It's not so much, oh, we want to put everybody under our thumb. It's not so much that, hey, we want to uh, make sure that all everybody looks right. Um, when we... I remember when I used to go to church when I was a child, uh, everybody looked the same. Uh, all the men wore suits with white shirts and dark ties. And all the women wore dresses, and uh, there was some discussion whether she should wear a hat or not, uh, because it's either too much or you know, she's not showing submission or whatever. But it was all this, you know, it was very regulated. Now, if somebody wears a suit to church, it's kind of like, well, what's up with them? Or they must have walked into the wrong place. But what's really interesting is that that has nothing to do with who we are, but that God requires internal submission with an eternal perspective. If we live with a sense of that we want to minister to those who are around us, first to our wives, if you're a husband, wife to the husband, 
to our children. We want to be Christ to them. We want to show them the love of Christ in everything. And we want to work toward that. But then as we move out in our community, we want to show them what it is like to be Christ's follower. And then as we go out from there and we talk about government. And so what Peter has done is saying, okay, since we want to do that, we do that through mutual submission to authority. And it's not groveling. It's a choice that we make to be able to follow, to do God's will. If we want to live the good life at home, we'll find it only as we submit to each other uh, intentionally with an internal perspective. Uh, I have found that that um, when Carol criticizes me, it is for my betterment. And if I tend to fight off that, then I never change. And certainly if you want to hear all the things that I need to change, you can talk to Carol and she'll be happy to share. Actually, she doesn't, but she could <laughs> share a lot of things. And uh, But it's having that eternal perspective. Do I see my wife as the one who who helps me become more like Christ? Or am I in battle with her and in tension with her? God desires that we work together to build up our relationship with him. It is found in an unwavering commitment to follow Christ. If we are going to live out our life properly within the home, it's going to be possible only when we commit ourselves to a real relationship with God, an absolute commitment to him first and his desires. The Christian life lived out in in the home is experienced in daily unconditional love that we have for one another. Uh, I remember when Carol and I were first married, one of the things that would happen is we, that's when we had our most tensions, and I think that's true of most couples. You're kind of adjusting to each other. And one of the things that Carol would say would be, well, I don't know why you just don't leave me. So what would happen is we'd get in an argument, and, and usually I was trying to make sure that I had all the, my right answers and everything. And finally, out of frustration, not because she wanted to leave, but you know, I don't know why you just don't leave me. And I stopped one day and I said, you know, I really want to protect our children, who we didn't have yet, uh, from any fear that their mother or father would divorce each other and separate from each other. So we just made it a pack at that time that that would never come across our lips again. And it didn't. Uh, It never became an issue. Because we wanted to live a life that showed commitment to each other no matter how good or bad we happen to be or how loving or unloving we happen to be how how matter how how much we were Christ-like or non-Christ-like in our relationship we wanted to make sure that our kids were raised in an environment of security and say so, yeah, I think that's what Peter is really doing is he's he's establishing what is secure 
whether it's in the work relationship or a home relationship or government relationship or a relationship with Christ. We need to understand who we are in Christ and then live it out in an, in an example to others. Living the life that requires intentional submission with an eternal perspective, it aids us as we seek to evangelize the people around us with the gospel of Christ. You see, one of the things that is interesting is that quite often the things that we are told in Scripture to live out actually then demonstrate to the world the truth of the gospel. In fact, and I think all of you know this already, but marriage itself is is designed by God and the relationship between the husband and the wife and uh, and all of the the messiness of that and all of the details of that and all the glories of that are designed to show the world that Christ loves the Father and that the Father loves Christ and that Christ gave himself sacrificially for us because that was the will of the Father and that the Father and Christ together with the Holy Spirit is working to raise up a people who love him and desire to be like him. It is kind of interesting in the day that we live, there is so much tension, there are so many problems. There is now, of course, we've mentioned the riots that are taking place and and all of the hardships and stuff. But imagine, if you would, a community that lived in harmony with each other because they lived in submission to one another and God used that to spread the word of God all over the world. That's what the church is. And that's what the family is at the smallest nucleus. See, the church is just made up of a number of families. And so as they come together, they represent what they already have within the home. And if you have a home that is filled with all kinds of tension and stuff, guess what? That's going to be brought to the church. And then you find there's churches that are divided and angry and lots of tension. And that doesn't draw anyone. But instead, if we live a life that is in, that is intentionally determined to submit to one another and to love God and to love each other, then instead we have a great example of the gospel of Christ that's being presented to the world around us. And now I think we need that more than ever before. Uh, there are a lot of indications in our society that are, are that marriages are falling apart. We know that. But that even now, there's a lot of tension within the homes where suddenly they're living together and they've never had to do that before and uh, all the tensions that take place. But equally, it's kind of an interesting time because I'm seeing more and more people who they, both spouses were working, they both had their kids at school and at daycare and all, all of a sudden they're all together again. And although, yeah, it has caused some tension, there's also the opportunity for them to realize that, hey, I love my kids. I love teaching my kids. And I think coming out of this, we're going to find a lot of homes. Yeah, there'll be homes that have a lot of tension, but I think there's going to be a new commitment to living the gospel out in the home. And uh, there may be more and more one parent 
working outside the home while the other is at in home working with their children. Carol and I have seen our, ki- our kids grow up. We've seen many people who have had children who have grown up who have not done well and they've gone off the deep end or they have walked away from Christ and it's heartbreaking. Carol and I haven't experienced that and it's not because we're special, it's not because we have done something unique, but we're just very happy that it's true. But it is fun to be able to look at our kids and and all three of our children raise their kids slightly differently, but they love God and their children are coming to love God and we're so thankful for it. And I think it really goes back to Carol's parents and my parents who determined that they were going to follow Christ no matter what. At one point in my father's life, when he first came to Christ, everybody left him, including my mother, for a period of time. Um, but he was determined to follow Christ. And as he did, it built our family back together, and, and we all began to follow And I think it's in that commitment to our Lord first and to our family second that we find the gospel presented in everyday life. And if there's anything that's going to help our society at this time, it's to be able to see families who are living out the gospel and who are mutually submitting, where the husband's able to lead his family because his wife is willing to submit to him because she knows he loves her and wants the best for her, and he wants the best for the family. And so when he says, let's go this way, we go, and we follow. There isn't all the tension and the anger and the frustration. That's what our society needs to see. They need to see people, the husband who is willing to give up his life for his family. They need to see a wife who is willing to give up what she might hold dear over here in order for the betterment of the family. They need to see children who enjoy being with their parents. They need to see the people of God enjoying being with each other and willing to follow the will of the Father. All of these things are true. And it's a it's an important message that we looked at today. It's really the, the heart of the gospel is the family. Because the family represents Christ and his love for the church and his absolute commitment for the grace in grace for the salvation that is presented to us. You know, Jesus is the head of the bride and we're all part of the the bride, if we trust in Christ. He came and he died for his, he was willing to give up everything for her so that we might have eternal life. The, uh, the husband in the relationship needs to be willing to give up everything for his family. Not just provide financially, but be present emotionally to love his wife well, to love his children well. The wife needs to respond to that love in a self-giving, sacrificial way. And the children need to be raised in that environment in order for them to stand strong when it comes to their relationship with Christ. And then to multiply that 
over and over again. So Peter has dealt with in these seven verses a very practical life uh, reality. And that is if we want to if we want to change this world, we need to submit submit to one another, submit in love to reflect the love that Christ had for the church and in which he gave himself for her. Let's close in a brief word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this gift. Thank you for the gift of life that you've given to us through the death of your son. Thank you that he did not remain in the grave, but that he has risen again. And that someday we will all be together. Someday we will stand with him Uh, with our parents, with our siblings, with others who are around us, with our neighbors and friends, as we're able to share with them the truth of the gospel, we pray that they would come to know Christ as as their Savior so that we can all be together and sing your glories forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.